Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to A Tale of Two Brothers by Reverend Christy Mannion. Our scripture reading tonight is from the book of Obadiah, and I'm going to give you a minute to find that book because it is small and it is sandwiched right in there in the Old Testament. It's on page 1438 of your pew Bibles. So listen to these words. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night Oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But oh, how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Your warriors, Timon, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth, while foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. For the day of the Lord is near for all nations, As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame 
Esau will be stubble. They will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. The people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. The company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. About 10 years ago, before I, well, longer than that, because it was before I had any children, a 56 second video of home family life was put on YouTube, and it quickly made the rounds across the globe. Today, it's been viewed more than 870 million times, and it's this, this little snippet of family life. In it, two young British brothers, one a toddler and one who's a baby, can't be older than one year old, they're sitting together on a recliner or a couch, and suddenly, the baby, whose name is Charlie, takes an experimental nip at his brother's hand. And at first, the older brother chuckles. Ow, Charlie, he says. And he says to the person doing the video, Charlie bit me. And then Charlie takes another try at it, and he chomps more forcefully. His little jaws clamp down and they don't let go, and Big Brother is soon wailing with tears coming to his eyes. That really hurts! Ow, Charlie! So Charlie eventually unclenches his jaw and releases his brother's hand, and as he does that, the strangest thing happens, because in little Charlie's face, you see this glimmer of unbridled joy, this mischievous twinkle, you hear this belly giggle erupt from his toes in response to his brother's pain. Charlie bit me, the two-year-old says sheepishly. That really hurt, Charlie, and it's still hurting. And if you want to look it up, their British accents are so sweet. Little Charlie's devilish delight makes us laugh, and it seems harmless enough. But we laugh at Charlie and his brother because in little Charlie, we recognize something of our own heart's struggle. We, too, can experience this unbidden glee that rises up when we see someone else hurting. And the tendency for this surprises us and convicts us. Tiffany Watt Smith wrote a book called Schadenfreude, The Joy of Another's Misfortune. Sometimes it's easy to share our delight at someone's failure, like when we repost memes of a disgraced politician's resignation speech. Far harder to acknowledge are those spasms of relief that accompany the bad news of our successful friends and relatives. 
They come involuntarily, these confusing bursts of pleasure swirled through with shame. And they worry us. We fear that our lack of compassion says something terrible about us. So those times when we take quiet delight when our super gifted brother is passed over for a promotion at work. The times when we experience a stab of joy that our child or our grandchild invites us rather than our spouse for the special visitor's day at school. The times when we feel happy, strangely, that our meticulous lawn manicuring, car washing, schedule keeping neighbor accidentally backs into the garbage truck. This kind of devious delight at another person's misfortune is a picture of the underlying sin that the prophet Obadiah is confronting in the nation of Edom. I'm not sure I've ever heard a sermon on the book of Obadiah. Maybe some of you haven't either. And as I studied these verses this week, I began to see why, and I started to wonder what I was thinking. Because Obadiah's message is nasty and brutish and short. You have to look in a table of contents to find the right page. And it isn't abundantly clear how this word from God against Edom applies to us. To understand that, we have to dig a little bit. So who are the players in these 21 verses? Well, there are a number of people named Obadiah in the Old Testament. We can't definitively identify any one of them with this Obadiah. His name means a servant of Yahweh. And we know little about who he is for sure other than that he received the vision that he speaks in this book, a vision that he accounts as good as done because God has said so. Like all true prophets, Obadiah comes speaking only what he has heard and seen from the Lord. God's scathing, vengeful rebuke of the nation of Edom, perhaps around the time that Babylon invaded Jerusalem. The Edomites are descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. Obadiah preaches more than a century after Jacob came into the world clutching Esau's coattails, claiming his birthright and stealing his blessing. Yet for all of Jacob's conniving, he has still received the undeserved favor of God's blessing, which can never be taken away. Despite the uneasy truths of Esau and Jacob in Genesis 32, the two nations have been going back and forth at each other over the years. By this time, the Edomites are mountain people. Obadiah says they dwell in the clefts of the rocks, they make their home on the heights, they make their nest among the stars, they are tucked back into cities through winding passages in cliffs. Cliffs that rise 5,000 feet above the surrounding plain. Sometimes the entrances are no more than 15 feet. They are fortified. They are defensible. They are proud. They have resources. They feel invincible. Yet they are not beyond the reach of the God of the universe. And he is taking them to task 
like a parent whose righteous anger tumbles out to confront an erring child, God levels these escalating accusations against wayward Edom's gloating over the invasion of his brother's gates. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune or rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through those gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The Edomites triumphant swaggering over brother Judah show the ramifications of little Charlie's sin when it's full grown. First, the Edomites gloat over their brother. They cheer on the invading armies from their lookout spots as they see warriors coming for Jerusalem. And then, caught up in the excitement of seeing brother Judah on his heels, the Edomites mobilize their own forces. They march through the gates of God's people. And when Judah is face down in the dirt, instead of offering a hand up, Edom kicks his brother in the ribs. He steals Judah blind, fills his pockets, carries off as much as he can. And if all that weren't enough, Edom chases Judah down the highways and the byways, waiting at the crossroads to turn in the refugees, pick off the survivors. Edom's treachery is all the worse, God says, because... Well, it's all in the family. Edom, Judah's your brother. And Edom, Israel is my people. When you come up against them, you come up against me. For the day of the Lord is near for all nations, verse 15 says. As you have done, it will be done to you, and your deeds will return upon your own head. Esau, your day is coming, and Edom, the time is near. And so Obadiah's words go out into the ruined streets of Jerusalem. The sad song he sings echoes in the ears of the Jewish exiles on the long trek to Babylon. It's news that Edom's time is just about up. It's bad news for Edom, and it's encouragement for God's people. Because to Judah, it could seem for all the world like God has abandoned them. Where were Yahweh's everlasting promises to be with them, to be their God, to strengthen them, to uphold them? To his erring and overwhelmed and discouraged people who are justly sent to time out in Babylon for persistent disobedience, God says this. Your story isn't done. Whatever opposes my people will most certainly have its day in my courtroom. So Esau, your day is coming. 
and Edom, the time is near. Who or what are the Edoms we face? What powers opposing God do you long to see have their day of justice in God's courtroom? Cancer, you shouldn't gloat so much in the days of chemotherapy. Mental illness and addiction, you should not boast in the day of diagnosis. Secret sin, you should not take pride in your power to discourage or destroy. Loneliness, don't rejoice in causing isolation. Violence, don't be so proud in the day of disaster. Division and disorder, don't gloat. You will not be laughing in the end. Persecution, you should not march through the gates of God's people. Do you know who it is you're dealing with? Because Edom, your day is coming. And Esau, the time is near. In early January, Christianity Today reported that Boko Haram had continued its attacks, its escalating attacks against Christians in Nigeria, and they had kidnapped Pastor Lawan Andimi in an effort to stop the effects of his ministry there. Residents who heard that this raid was coming took off and fled for the bushes and the hills, but Reverend Andimi was taken. He released a hostage video that really caught people. In the hostage video, he said, by the grace of God, I will be together with my wife and my children and my colleagues. But if the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it's the will of God. Be patient, don't cry, don't worry. Thank God for everything. Reverend Andami's video was noted as a testimony to his captors, different from other hostage videos. He seemed like one who had already conquered death, saying to his abductors and the rest of us that he was ready to die for his faith in Jesus. Reverend Andami died at the hands of his abductors later in January, and his associates were sad about the loss of his life. And to myself, I wondered at Reverend Andami's faith from these many miles away. What bone-deep conviction was upholding him? What was sustaining him and reassuring him in that exact time and place of God's will in this terrifying set of circumstances, regardless of the outcome for him personally? The only thing I can come up with is that the Holy Spirit gave Reverend Andami profound trust in that place that he was in God's hands, that he knew that God's dealing with him, come what may, was entirely trustworthy, and that he could trust God to deal justly with those who had opposed him, too. Esau, your day is coming, and Edom 
The time is near. The kingdom of Edom was indeed conquered, likely by the Babylonians about 30 years after the sack of Jerusalem. Edom's day came, and its overthrow was complete. No recognizable nation of Edomites exists today. But Obadiah's vision asserts that God's far-flung people will return, that they will be regathered to populate his kingdom. The borders of the realm of God's people will expand in every direction in unforeseen ways. Verse 21, end of the book. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. All of those regions that are prior to that last verse that are talking there, that are there kind of painting this picture, just imagines the spread of God's kingdom geographically in that place beyond the borders that his people could have then imagined. That kingdom will be a kingdom for people of all nations. It's no accident that Obadiah is sandwiched in there right between Amos and, oh, where have I lost myself? And Jonah. Just in case God's people might sometime later be tempted to exhibit pride of place as the the special possession of God, just in case they might come to labor under a misguided assumption that the Lord their God was not also the God of all the earth, the next prophet in the order is Jonah, sent to preach repentance to the dreaded and feared enemy nation of Assyria. That Jonah should turn those folks to the living God would be would snap God's people out of any any tendency to claim God's protection or special blessing as just their own to keep. Their kingdom, the Lord's kingdom, was to be a light for everyone around. How would that be? A king, a new king would come. A king who would suffer the mockery and the rejection of his brothers, just as Judah suffered under Edom. A king would come whose friend and fellow Jew would treacherously turn him over to enemies for execution, just as Edom did to Judah. This king would be stripped bare. This king would have lots cast over his clothing, just as Edom did to Judah. This king would take up the burden of divine judgment and vengeance that we see so clearly in this book. Punishment for sin. Not only the sins of Judah, also the sins of Edom. This king would bear the vengeance of God. And he would not call down his avenging angels. He would forego his rights in a life and death of sacrificial love. And he would teach his subjects to love their enemies, to do good to those who hate them, and to bless those who persecute them. This king goes by the name Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. 
Every stab of devious joy we allow to swell. Every inflated, self-sufficient thought we have. Every time we look to benefit from another person's misfortune is gone. Killed. Destroyed. Vanquished. Avenged. Over. What a relief. King Jesus invites us to be subjects of his realm, a realm that spreads out in every direction. Every time his spirit strengthens us to return good for evil, every time trust in God wins out over fear, every time forgiveness is sought and granted, the light of Christ's kingdom spreads a little more, shines a little brighter, Citizens of this kingdom come from far and wide, from every people and every tribe and nation. They entrust themselves to their king, who is working even now to establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness in us, around us, sometimes despite us. And this kingdom can never be shaken. Thanks be to God. Lord, When we read a book like Obadiah, we're reminded of the weight of the punishment you carried so clearly. Transform our hearts in Jesus so that we do not delight in our friends' or enemies' troubles, but pray for them. May we do good to our enemies and bless those who persecute us. May we long for your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven looking forward to the day when the kingdom is fully yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.